Good evening. It's certainly good to see everyone here. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you to present a lesson from the Word of God. And if you would be turning your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to start there for our lesson. But appreciate the chance to be here, to meet all of you, and also to express my appreciation for the support that this congregation has been able to provide for the work that's being done in Morgantown. That is appreciated, and that has certainly helped to allow that work to continue. This evening, what we're going to look at is a verse in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1 as the basis for our lesson this evening. Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. When Solomon here talks about a good name, what he is referring to here is one's reputation. This is, this is what someone is known for. Strong's defines this word name as a mark or memorial of individuality by implication, honor, authority, or character. That word character is what I want us to think about here when we look at a good name. This is who you are. This is what you are known for. This is how you demonstrate yourself to others. Solomon says here, that a good name is more desired than great wealth and favor is better than silver or gold. So we have a comparison here that Solomon makes between a good name and great wealth. And so we look at this comparison, we look at the things that are being talked about here. We all understand the need to have a good name, a good reputation. We also, human beings, generally we understand the value of having great wealth. But Solomon, he makes the point here that one is better than the other. If we can have one or the other of these, he said it's far more important that we have that good name. It's far more important that we are known for what is good and for what is right. We are known for having good character. But why does Solomon make this comparison? Why is it that he chooses the great wealth, the silver and gold, to make this comparison? He could have used anything. He could have talked about the whole world. He could have talked about anything. Why did he use silver and gold here? Why did he talk about this great wealth as being the point of comparison that he was making here? Well, one, we could think, well, they both have value. But it's not just because both have value. There's more to it than that. It is because both of these, when we think about a good name, what we are known for, we think about our character, and we compare that with the great wealth that he talks about here, the silver and gold. You think about the wealth that someone has. Both of these are character and this wealth that he talks about. Both of those are obtained and maintained and retained in much the same way. And so in this lesson, what I want us to do is to look at the comparison here. If we are going to get great wealth, well, what has to happen for us to have great wealth? And knowing that, understanding that then, what does that tell us about having a good name? About how we can obtain and keep our good name? So to begin with, I want us to look at Solomon's basis of comparison. That a good name is more to be desired than great wealth. Well, how do we have great wealth? Now, I'll admit to you right now, I am not an expert at wealth management as far as giving you financial advice, and if you want to come up to me afterward, you're not going to get sound financial advice from me more than likely. But what I can do is I can show you what the Scriptures teach. 
And we can look at the Bible, which is what we're going to do here in this lesson. We're going to look at the Bible and see what does God's word say about how we have great wealth. Well, first thing we have to do if we're going to have great wealth, generally speaking, now I know there are exceptions to this. There may be people who inherit great wealth from someone else. But generally generally speaking, if we are going to have great wealth, we have to be willing to work for it. There is a necessity for us to, if we are going to have great wealth, if we are going to be able to survive, we have to be willing to work. Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 that if one is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now, if someone just is unable to work, those people can be helped. We can help them out. We are to help those who are in need in those circumstances. But there has to be a willingness to work. Over in the book of Proverbs, a little bit earlier than this, in Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 23. The wise man says there, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. In the work that we do, there is a return for that. There is a reward for that. The principle is stated in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 18. That the laborer is worthy of his wages. When someone goes to a place of business, when someone goes to their job, when they go to work, they earn a paycheck from what they do in that job. They earn a living from that. Working leads to this. In all labor there is profit. But if someone just talks about what they're going to do, if someone just doesn't do anything, just sit around and plan, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, but they don't actually get around to doing anything, well, they're not going to profit from that. It's not going to do them any good. There has to be a willingness to work if there is going to be the great wealth that is obtained. But also, if you look over in Proverbs chapter 28, another thing to keep in mind, not only must there be a willingness to work, but there's also this point here that we need to keep in mind that we also need to do work that is profitable. There is a such thing as as Solomon describes here, the wise man describes here in this verse, as following empty pursuits. In Proverbs 28 and verse 19, it says, He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. We can work very hard at something, and still end up in poverty, still end up with nothing. We can, we can expend all the effort that we want to in producing something or in doing something or in, in, in doing this labor, whatever it is that we're doing. We can do all sorts of things like that. We can tire ourselves out at the end of the day, but in the end, if it's not profitable work, then it's not going to do any good. hundred years ago, maybe more than that, you could have been paid and made a good living from someone who would go out and cut ice in the winter. Well, you don't you don't earn money cutting ice anymore because people have refrigerators. They don't need someone to come and deliver ice to their home to be able to keep their food cold because we have refrigerators. You can be willing to go to a factory and work 16 hours a day, 6 days a week and be willing to do that, be ready to do that, have the physical capability to do that. But if that company, if that factory can install a machine that is able to do that same work more efficiently and at a better cost for the company, it doesn't matter how willing you are to work, your work's not profitable to them. And so there has to be a there has to be work that is done that is profitable. Here in Proverbs chapter twenty eight and verse nineteen, it talks about someone who tills his land. Well, when someone tills their land, what are they doing? 
They're preparing it for sowing, sowing seed, for planting crops, where they would then get a harvest later and be able to gain the reward from that. But what if someone didn't till their land? What if someone put in just the same amount of effort, same amount of work, but instead of tilling their land to be able to plant those crops, they just decide they're just going to dig holes in their, in their yard or in their field just to find buried treasure out there. Well, they might work just as hard, but that work's not profitable. They're not going to find the buried treasure out in the field, and they're end up going to end up with nothing after all of their labor and all of their work that they do. The work has to be profitable for it to earn that reward that comes from the work. There's an interesting verse over in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, in this chapter, you have certain blessings that are given to the people if they will obey God. And then on the flip side, you have curses that exist if the people refuse to obey God, if they are disobedient to the Lord. And the last verse of that chapter after talking about the different things that would come upon them if they did not obey. In Deuteronomy 28:68, it says, The Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way about which I spoke to you. You will never see it again, and there you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. The Israelites were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, and the curse that God is putting upon them is that if you do not obey me, if you do not follow me, you're going to end up back where you were. You're going to end up in a position where you have, you're not able to, you're not being blessed by the Lord. So you're not able to feed yourself. You're not able to provide for yourself. You don't have a land to go to. You're going to be taken back to this place. And it says here, you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. So why would someone offer themselves? as a slave to their enemy. Well, the reason, the only reason why someone would do that is because that's the only way they can survive. They can't survive on their own. They can only hope to gain whatever little provision they can get from their master. And so he says here that you're going to offer yourself as a slave to your enemies. He says there will be no buyer. It doesn't matter how willing you are, even to lower yourself to the point of, well, I'll be willing to work as a slave for my enemy. People don't want you working for them. You're not going to gain the reward from that. You're not going to gain the return or even what little provisions he's talking about here. Someone who's going to gain great wealth, what do they have to do? It's not just being willing to work, but they have to do work that is profitable. The wise man talked about in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 21 about laboring with wisdom. This is part of it. Laboring with wisdom. Our work has to be valuable to others. But then if you look in your Bibles, in Luke chapter 15, if we are going to have great wealth, we might be willing to work, and we might do work that is profitable. There are some people who, because of the work that they do, because it's just very valuable to people, maybe they're, they're managing people's money, maybe they have some skill as a, in the medical field, maybe they're an entertainer, either an athlete or a musician or something, and they, get, and they earn more money than the average person, and they end up having great wealth. Someone might do that, but then they might lose everything. And we hear of this type of thing happening. We can squander what we have. And if we do that, we're not going to have the great wealth. Here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable of the prodigal son. And it says here in Luke 15:11, He said a man had two sons. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. 
So he divided the wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he went and he sent him into his field to feed swine. Here you have this in this parable, this younger son he ends up with a good deal of wealth because he told his father, well, give me the share of the inheritance that falls to me. He took it from his father. His father was willing to give it to him. He went off and went to another country. He could have established himself. He could have set himself up where he could survive over the long-term period of time. But instead what he does, he wastes everything. He squanders it. He throws it all away. You have this person here that is described as one who is not being a good steward of what he has. You look back in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, there are a couple passages here that we can look at that emphasize the point that we have to remember that our blessings that we have are from God. and We are to be good stewards of what He has blessed us with. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, "...honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce." So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Well, how do we do that? We recognize that what we have are blessings from Him. And we don't waste those things as the prodigal son did, but instead we are good stewards of what He has given us. Over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, the wise man says there, a good man leaves an inheritance to his to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. You look at the first part of that verse. A good man, what is a good man going to do in this verse? It says he's going to leave an inheritance, not just to his children, but to his children's children. Now, this is a statement in speaking in general terms. Now, we know that not everyone is able to do this. Some people, through no fault of their own, are not able to leave an inheritance even to their children. But when you think about what someone would have to do to be in a position to leave an inheritance to not just his children, but also his grandchildren. He has to, as we've talked about, be willing to work. He has to do work that is profitable. He has to do work that allows him to earn enough where he's not able to just survive. He's able to save up for the future. And he has to be willing to pass this along. But in order to have it to pass along, He has to have been a good steward of those things. He cannot have squandered his wealth. He cannot have just wasted everything that he earned and then have nothing left to give to anyone once he's gone. He had to have been a good steward of the things that he had. That's the point of this verse. The good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The point of that verse is that we need to be good stewards and not waste the blessings that we have been given by God. But then also over in Matthew chapter 25, there's another parable of Jesus here that we're probably familiar with where the, where Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. So we won't take time to, to read the whole account here. But in Matthew chapter 20, 25, beginning in verse 14, Jesus told a parable where you have a master give three of his servants, three of his slaves, different amounts of money to manage while he is gone from them. And then they would give an account after he returned to them. And so those were given, one was given five talents, another two talents, another servant was given one talent. And the master left and then 
came back later and the servants came before him and gave an account of what they were able to do with the with the funds that were entrusted to them. And you look there in verse 20 of this chapter. It says, The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. In verse 22, the man who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. They were able to get that much of a return on that on the funds that were entrusted to them. Both servants, now they were not given the same amount, but both were able to double their master's money. Then you have the one talent man, and we remember him. He was one who did not do anything with the money. He went and hid it. He buried it in the ground because he didn't want to lose what the master gave to him. Well, verse 27, notice what the master says to him. It says, you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. That if nothing, if you were not going to do anything else with my money, you at least could have put it in the bank. You at least could have done what to the master as he's looking at this. This would at least have been the minimum you could have done. You just put it in the bank and I at least could have had interest from that. That maybe you wouldn't have doubled it like the other two were able to do but at least would have had a return on what I had given you to manage while I was gone. But what we see here in this parable, and we know this from our experience and talking to those around us, different investments are going to yield different returns. Here in verse 27, you might put money in the bank and it'll gain interest. You might be able to invest in other things. You might double your money. But if someone's going to have great wealth, there's going to be some investing and wise investing that has to be done. Now, Going back to Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Solomon said that it is better for us to have a good name than great wealth. And so the point of this lesson is not just so we can learn how to gain great wealth, though we do have these principles here that we can, we will be better off if we do these things, generally speaking. But why is it that we study these things? Why do we look at this? Well, again, we look at the comparison that Solomon made, that a good name is better than great wealth. We've seen how we are able to gain great wealth, how we can keep that, how we can not squander that. Well, the same things are parallel to what we see with a good name. And so for the rest of the lesson, I want us to look at this. If we understand this about great wealth, how do we have a good name that we know from the Scriptures is far better than the great wealth that we've been talking about. Just as we have to be willing to work if we're going to gain wealth, we have to work for that good name. The good name is, as we talked about at the beginning, is about our character. It's about what we are known for. Henry Ford says, you, can, you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. People make all sorts of plans. They make all sorts of Claims about what they intend to do, what they plan to do. This time of year, we've all heard people say, well, my New Year's resolution is to do this or to do that. A lot of people are going to make plans. A lot of people are going to say, well, this is what I'm going to do for this year. Or, this is what my plans are now. This is what my resolution is. A lot of people will make plans. But you don't gain a reputation based on what you say you are going to do. Over in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 20, that quote from Henry Ford is based in a biblical principle. 
that our reputation is not based upon our words, not based on what we say. Our reputation and our character is based upon what we do. It's based upon our action. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, it says, Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? There are a lot of people who will say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, this is what I plan to do, you can rely on me to do this. A lot of people are going to claim that. How many people are actually doing it? How many people are actually putting in the work to do what they say they are going to do? What's implied here in this verse is that there are not many people, when you compare you know, what these ones will do with the people who will just claim to do this, there are a lot of people who will say all sorts of things. But there's a much smaller number who actually carry these things out. Over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, it talks about how we are to love not in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Now that verse is not telling us that we are not to talk about love or tell others, whether it's our spouse or our children or loved ones or brethren, that we love them. The verse is not talking about saying, well, don't say that. It's saying don't do that only love in deed and in truth that principle extends to what we do as christians as god's people don't just say you're going to do things don't just say that you can be dependent upon don't just say that you believe in god don't just say that you're going to remain faithful even when things get tough do those things actually carry out what you say you're going to do because many people as the wise man says here in proverbs 20 and verse 6 Many people will proclaim their loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? If we are going to have a good reputation, we need to be willing to work for it. But then, just as we talked about with the great wealth, we have to be willing to work, but we have to do work that's profitable. Well, in the same way, if we want to have a good reputation, it's not enough just to be doing something, just doing everything anything. Not all work is profitable and not all deeds that we might do lead to a good name, lead to a good reputation. What is it that people see in us? That's an important question that we need to ask. Do they see someone who's might be known for being busy for all sorts of different things, might be known for doing this or doing that, but what are those things that we're doing? What are the things that we are known for? Are we known for things that are good? that are worthwhile, that are helpful, that are godly. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says here, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what we need to be known for. Not just doing just anything. Not just being busy for the sake of being busy. Are we known for doing good works? Are we known for, as we've talked about Gaining great wealth, well, you have to be willing to work for it. Are we known for being willing to work? Are we known for being a good Christian? Are we known for assembling with the saints when the church meets? Are we known for these things? Or are we known for other things? Things that are not in harmony with the Word of God. Things that are not found as part of what the Christian's character should be. What are we known for? Make sure what you're doing is... Good. And when Jesus says here, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we look at what he says there as being good works, we need to understand that 
There are lots of people who will define good works as being any number of things. It's not for us to look to the world and see what the world says are the good works. It's not for us to look to the churches of men around us and say, well, what do they think are good works? I need to be doing those. No, we have to look at what the Lord says are good works. We have to be looking at what the scriptures teach are good works. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul told Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Jesus says we are to be known for good works. Well, how do we know what those good works are? How do we find out what it is that we are to be doing that we are to be known for? Paul told Timothy, you look to the Scriptures. The Scriptures perfectly equip us for doing these good works. Which means that if we want to be known for doing good works, we need to make sure that we are going to the Bible and looking at what the Bible teaches and following what it says. Not what the churches of men are doing. Not what the world is doing. Not what society says. Look to the Word of God and find out what those good works are. Back in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, the wise man gives some advice to his son here. And as he talks to his son and gives him some advice about how he is to walk in wisdom and, and heed his words, he says in Proverbs 3 verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. If all we're interested in is having a good reputation with man, well, we can look to the world. We can look to the churches of men. We can look to, to others. We can look to our family. We can look to our friends. We can look to other people and say, well, what could I do that will make them think well of me? If all we're interested in is in what men think of us, well, we could do that. But Solomon says here, my son, you listen to these things that I'm telling you. And if you do this, and again, Solomon received his wisdom from God. This wasn't worldly wisdom he's talking about. But if you do these things, if you follow these commandments I'm giving you, verse 4, you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. God's first and foremost there. And by extension to that, we will find good reputation with man, with those who honor God, those who respect the Word of God. But we have to be looking to the Word of God. We have to be looking to what He has said. That wisdom that has been revealed that comes down from above. Make sure you are known for those things. So that we can have that good name by doing these good works that are revealed to us in the Scriptures. But then when we think about the how the fact that we can have great wealth and that can be squandered because we are not good stewards of the wealth that we have in the same way, we can, through our actions, forfeit our reputation. We can ruin the good name that we have had. We can undo years of a positive example through one sin. Benjamin Franklin is quoted as saying, it takes many good deeds to build a reputation and only one bad one to lose it. 
We've all known people who, uh, because of one sin that they have committed, one thing that they have done, one one action that was something that they should not have been doing, something that should not have been done, their reputation has been forever ruined. Could be we have done something like that, where we have done one thing, and it doesn't matter how many years we've spent doing the right thing, people remember us for that one thing that we did wrong. We can ruin a reputation through one sin. Now, we understand passages like 1 John chapter 1, where John makes the point that we sin, and we may sin in such a way that we ruin our reputation. We can be forgiven by God. 1 John 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is willing to forgive us no matter what we've done, but it can take a long time before others will trust us. There are consequences that come from forfeiting our reputation. One of those we can see in the book of Acts, if you look over in Acts chapter 13, is that we can, through our actions, make others not be able to trust us or rely upon us in the future. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, you have Paul traveling with Barnabas. It says there in Acts 13, 13, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, we're not told why John left them. All we know is that John started the journey with them and got to this point now where he is, for whatever reason, He's going to turn back and he's going to leave and go back to Jerusalem. Well, later, a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are getting to getting ready to leave again. And it says there in Acts 15.36, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. This one who had left them in Acts chapter 13. Barnabas wanted to bring him along. Verse 38, Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him. And sailed away to Cyprus. Paul at this point. Now we have clues later in as he writes to Timothy that this changed. But at least at this point. He couldn't trust John. He couldn't rely upon him to go along with him. That he would not start along the way and then just desert him like they did before. Like he did before. He couldn't trust him. And Barnabas, he's willing to. To bring him along, Barnabas thinks that he could be relied upon now. Paul's not convinced of that. And it didn't matter what John said. It didn't matter that John could have admitted that, well, I made a mistake before, that I was wrong before, I shouldn't have left. He may have done all that. Barnabas tried to tried to bring him along, wanted him to come along with him. Paul could not trust him. Paul could not rely upon him. When we forfeit our reputation... Others may not trust us again, or it may be a long time before others trust us again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what we can also do by forfeiting our reputation, by 
throwing away all of those years of a positive example that we have been. We can also throw away the influence that we may have had over others. The influence that we could use for good to lead them to the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul knew that as he preached the gospel and he, and he tried to conduct himself in a certain way, he knew that if he failed to live up to a certain standard, if he lived in a way that was not in harmony with the Word of God, he says the ministry will be discredited. Then it changed the truth of God's Word. It didn't mean that the gospel was no longer true or no longer the power of God for salvation. That's the same. That's always going to remain constant. God's word is always true. The gospel is always God's power for salvation. Man always needs to make his life right with God to be forgiven of their sins. None of that changes. But if we are trying to influence others and teach others and lead them to the truth, they may be less inclined to listen to us if we forfeit our reputation, if we throw our reputation away. Just as we have to be good stewards of our wealth, we have to be good stewards of our name, of our character, and that we do not squander it or throw it away through even one unguarded action, one sin that we commit. We need to always be on guard that we do not throw this away. And then finally, finally, if you look over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we talked about with wealth, one of the things that helps a person gain great wealth is by investing it wisely. And investments, generally speaking, are going to grow over a long period of time. There are very few investments that will cause one to gain a quick turnaround and a large return on their investment. Most of the time, Sound investments, safe investments, ones that are going to be profitable or most profitable for someone are ones that are going to grow over time. In the same way, when we think about having a good name, this is something that is going to grow over time. We have to be consistent over our lifetime. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about the qualifications for elders. And there are certain qualifications here that are specific to elders as being, well, they have to be able to teach, they have to be the, the husband of one wife, they have to have faithful children, and certain ones that someone may be a faithful Christian, but they're not married. Or someone may be a faithful Christian, but it, they're a woman and not a man. Or someone is a faithful Christian, but they don't have children. Or their children, through their own choices, are not faithful. Those things may happen. But you have here in the qualifications for elders, in addition to those things, that prove that he is able to lead the church. In addition to those things, you also have the character qualifications of elders. And these are qualifications here. When we think about his character, that he must be above reproach, that he must be temperate, prudent, respectable, all those things are talked about. That's not just a list for elders. Those qualify a man to serve as an elder, but those character qualifications that are listed there, all of us, as Christians, need to look at those lists and say that I need to make sure that I am doing that. It doesn't matter if we're young or old, male or female, married or unmarried. We all need to look at those character qualifications and make sure we are doing and molding ourselves into that picture that we see there. 
But in verse 7 here of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He must be known for what is good. Now, how does someone who is an elder or who could be considered to be appointed as an elder, how would he have a good reputation with those outside of the church? Well, he has to prove throughout the course of his life, through the time that he spends in the community, the time that he spends with those inside and outside of the church, people can see that he's a good man. People can see that he is known for good works and for doing what is good. Now again, we talked about the fact that we could squander our reputation by one sin and someone can repent of that and God can forgive them. In the same way, someone who has ruined their reputation, someone who is not known for this, can always repent and can always start again by doing what is right. But a good name, that good reputation, takes time to build. And so we need to make sure that all of us, whether someone might be a potential elder one day or not, all of us as Christians need to make sure that we are committed to building this good reputation. Or if we haven't been, recommit to that, to building that good reputation because we have to be consistent with it. And it has to be consistent over the long term. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the seed which fell among the rocky soil and sprung up really quick and then withered away because it didn't have any root? That wasn't a fruitful fruitful growth there in that soil because there was no root. It could not last. It grew up real quick for a time. But if we are going to have a good name, if we're going to have a good reputation... It's not just we're going to do good and be zealous for God in spurts or just do it for a short period of time and then people are going to remember that and we just kind of slack off or or become complacent after that. We have to be consistent over our lifetime. And so we think about what Solomon says about comparing this great wealth and comparing that with the good name, which is far better. How are we going to get that good name? How are we going to get that reputation for what is right, for what is good? We have to be willing to work for it. And we have to be doing those good works that are defined in Scripture. We have to do that consistently, not squander our reputation thinking that, that, well, it doesn't matter what I do now. No, it matters what we do now. It matters what you do next week. It matters what you do when not many other people are around, when you think that no one else may find out about this. It matters what you do. It matters that you do what is good. And it matters that you are consistent, not just for a short period of time, but over a lifetime. So we look at what Solomon describes here. Wealth and this good name. The good name is to be more desired than great wealth. And favor is better than silver and gold. The value of wealth is universally recognized. But that good name is far more valuable. And so we need to do what we can as Christians, following the word of God, to build and keep our good name, to build and keep that reputation, not just so others will view us a certain way, not just so others will look, will look at us and say, well, that person's a good person, that man's a good man, or that woman's a, a good woman, they're a good Christian. Hopefully people notice 
that. Hopefully we're letting our light shine that others see our good works, as we talked about in Matthew 5.16. But it's not for the recognition. It's not just so people point to us and say, well, that's a good person. It's so that we're pleasing to God. That is first and foremost. That is what our priority needs to be. Are we pleasing to God? Are we living in a way that would be approved by Him? And so as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, I want each one of us to examine ourselves, examine our lives, and ask the question, are we building a good name? Have we built a good name? Are we maintaining that? Are we doing what God wants us to do? And if you're a Christian and you haven't been doing that, and you recognize that that you know, I haven't been doing things the way I should be doing, maybe everyone here sees you as a good Christian, but maybe the people at work know otherwise. Maybe your family knows otherwise. Maybe someone else knows otherwise. Or maybe you have a sin that's private, that's between you and God and no one else knows about it. Whatever it is, if you are a child of God and have sin in your life, whatever it is, repent of that. Pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness and He is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. Or if you're here and are not a Christian, You can start building your good name by putting on Christ in baptism. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and are willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you can be baptized to have your sins washed away. But if you're here this evening and subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.